Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, I did a practice run of this in the early service and um, got halfway through the message and said, gee, I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to do a little bit better in the second service. So, <laughs> matter of fact, at the end, I thought I, I, I'll correct a couple of things that I said along the way. Um, so you can tell the, the first service that, that if, they, if they're going to get it right, you need to tell them what I said. Yeah. Uh, the Word of God. Sometimes when I've never done a message before, it's like, I don't know how long this is going to take, and I don't know how far we'll get. And, and it, so when I said it was a practice run in the first service, I was really telling you the truth. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much that uh, your word is alive, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, you said that if we would overcome and live lives of overcomers, you would put before us an open door. I thank you that Bayside has been an open door to me, and I ask that you bless these people. Holy Spirit, I pray that not only will you bless them in in the ministry and building this church in the natural, but I ask that the words that are spoken today will uh, be building blocks to continue to build And, Lord, I hear those words. Be careful how you build on another's uh, foundation. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll continue to give me sensitivity to what you're doing in this house and that I will come alongside and and encourage what is already being done. For, Lord, these truly are faithful people. And I, I, I thank you for letting me partner with them. And I pray once again, teach us, Lord. Teach us and bring change to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was speaking to his disciples many years ago, and in John 15, there's a verse that some of you I know, you could quote it, but uh, so it's not an unfamiliar verse, but in John 15, in verse 16, Jesus says these words. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of, my, of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Jesus' prayer and his desire was to see the disciples that he walked with, that he had called to himself, to bear fruit. But if you've ever had a... a, a a vine that with grapes, or if you've ever had fruit trees, one thing you know is that as the fruit begins to mature, you first get the blossoms on the tree or on the vine, and, and then you watch the little pieces of fruit begin to form. And my husband and I, have, we have two orange trees and a lemon tree, and we always like to see what kind of crop will we have this year. And And so we'll go and we'll look and we'll watch the fruit begin to grow. But then maybe a wind will come up or a storm or sometimes we don't even know what causes it to happen. But we will watch some of that fruit drop off the tree. And especially when you see some of the fruit, it's almost getting to the place where it's going to mature. And then you go out and it's like, why did that drop off the tree? You see, there there are 
fruitful trees, but the question is, does the fruit remain? Does it come to maturity? And Jesus was saying this. I, I don't want to just see you begin to grow in fruit. I want the fruit to mature in you, and I want it to remain. I want it to be there for because the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever questioned how are people going to taste to see that the Lord is good? Well, the reality is the fruit should be in our lives. Where are they going to taste God? They're going to taste God in the fruit of the mature Christian who has let that fruit grow to maturity in his life. And Jesus said, I don't want it to be a flash in the pan. I don't want it to be there and gone. I want that fruit to remain in your life. You see, because there is coming a day someday when God will call us all before him and, and certainly there will be that time when God will separate those who have accepted Jesus Christ truly as their Savior. That's, and that, that accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior is not simply an acknowledgement that Jesus exists. The Bible says the devils believe and they go one step further than a lot of people. They believe and they tremble. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, oh, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe. I believe he was real. I believe he lived. But, the, but it says, if we believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth Jesus as my Lord. And that word Lord doesn't, it doesn't it's just not a title, and he's the president. No, it means that he's master. And we confess, Lord, I'm letting go of the rule of my life, and I put it into your life. It says that's what brings salvation. For with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made, and it results in salvation. So if we've just said, well, I believe he raised from the dead, but we don't give him lordship of our lives, then we need to look again at what salvation truly is. Because salvation is giving him lordship of our lives. And there will come a day, certainly, when God will separate those who have accepted that truth and made him lord of their lives from those who have rejected his work of the cross. But there's coming a judgment, and I'm not talking about a judgment that's saved and unsaved. What I'm talking about is the Bible speaks of a judgment when our works will be burned. Every single one of us are going to give an account for what we did as Christians. What did we do with this life of Christ that we've been given? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I used to love to hear those rustling pages. I don't hear them anymore. <laughs> and it's not because I'm old and going deaf. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're going to have to just bear with me because this girl's always going to rustle the pages. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. As a matter of fact, I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up to verse 7. It says, So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Did you hear that? But let me read it again. But each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. 
According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You see, there's coming a time when everything that we have ever done and our deeds and our works are put into that fire. If, if we've served the Lord so that people will notice us, if we've served the Lord so that people will appreciate us and they come up afterwards, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Bible says pretty much you've got the reward you're getting. That's it. What is our motive for serving him? And it says, if you've built with Gold and precious silver, what does the Bible define as gold? He said, our faith is more precious. No, it says, the testing of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes. Um, Often we don't want God testing our faith. Just make it all easy, God. (laughs) But if we build on tested faith that comes through the fire as gold... If we build with silver that price of redemption, God's redemptive work in our life, gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble, you throw, you know, not every precious stone can handle the fire. I took up silversmithing a couple years ago, and what I've learned is that there, there are some stones that you can't let get near a fire. It'll crack the stone and destroy it immediately. The beautiful part about a diamond is if I'm resetting, if I'm making a diamond ring smaller, you don't have to take all the stones out because a diamond can handle the fire. And there are some stones that can handle fire and some f- stones that cannot. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that someday we will all cast our crowns at his feet. My question is, what's your crown going to look like? And why do I cast it at his feet? Because everything I have and everything I am and everything I do is a result of what he did for me. I don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve the crown. It's all his. But what are we building with? Are we building it with wood, which is a type of humanity? Are we trying to be accepted by the world? You know, I love the things that that go on. I love a lot of things that go on. I don't love everything that goes on in the church. Because sometimes we do our best to look like the world. I would pray, God, let creativity come into the church to such a degree that we don't have to bring the world's ways in to get noticed, but they will start looking at our ways and say, whoa, man, their music sounds different than ours. Oh, they didn't have to bring a smoke machine because the glory of God really does fill that place. I'm serious. 
You know, it's kind of sad when we have to create the atmosphere. Let's let God create the atmosphere. When he does, you know what it says? It says that people came into that, that kind of place when the Holy Spirit was the, the cloud in the room and they fell on their face. God, let, that, let it be so. Not wood, hay, stubble. God, let it be gold refined by the fire. And this man that's speaking this, this man is named Paul. Paul knows what it is to build and to be a builder. He knows what it is to come in and lay a foundation. He knows what it is to come into a city that the foundation has already been laid by someone else, but he knows how to build on it. You see, when I come into this church, I'm not here to to be the great apostle that's over this church and over this pastor. No, whatever my gifting is, is to come alongside this pastor. He has, and pastors, These pastors have been laying foundations. My place is just to come in and build carefully and cautiously on what it is they're doing. Not to try to come and do something totally new and twist it and manipulate it to what I think is my ministry. Paul said, you know, be careful how you build on another man's ministry. Paul knew what it was to build from scratch and to build on another's. As a matter of fact, I, I was thinking recently about this man, this builder, Paul. What an amazing testimony he is and an example to churches. How do you build and structure a church? How, how do you build it with strength and wisdom? And to see this, I, I'd like to just show you the diary of a church. I would like you to, to follow me and watch Paul plant a church. He's an amazing builder. Go with me to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to see Paul building a church. In Acts chapter 16, Paul's on one of his missionary journeys, and, and uh, Paul's mission, I said, I think I said the wrong time frame, Paul's missionary journeys began some, some 20 years after the cross. It wasn't like there was the cross and then Paul became the, the great missionary. After he met Christ on the road to Damascus, there were 14 years that God was preparing him that, that we often forget took place. Before, and those 14 years went by, and then Barnabas went and found him. Interesting Barnabas' name is the encourager. Barnabas is one who knew how to encourage young men and women in Christ. He goes and finds Paul and says, come on, Paul, we need you in Antioch. And so uh, Paul comes. Now Paul is, it's probably about maybe 25 years after the cross. And Paul is out ministering in his missionary journey. And in Acts 16, verse 1, it says, and Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, Paul sees this young man. We know Timothy was, he was not a, a, 
a middle-aged. He was a young man. How do we know this? Because when Paul writes a letter to Timothy later on, years later, he writes and says, don't let anyone despise your youth. You're a young man. And don't let people despise your youth. And he's teaching this young man how to be a pastor. And he's teaching him how to, to stand in an authoritative place and yet respect people. And so, and he says of Timothy, he says, he's my, he's my beloved son, my child in the Lord. So Paul took Timothy under his wing, and pastors will do that from time to time, and, and some people might say, well, you know, he, he really favors him or her. He really favors, matter of fact, he shows favor to his own son. Of course he does. Have you seen the call of God on this man's life? Have you seen the call of God on his daughter's life? Certainly they're going to not only impart to them as, as their physical children, but they see the spiritual potential in their lives. That's what Paul did. He looked for the potential, and he began to build in that. You know, as leaders, there is no way leaders can impart to that degree to every single person in the church. There's just no way. The proverb says this, a man of many friends comes to ruin. If you say, well, the pastor never invited us to his house for dinner, well, don't be surprised. There's a whole lot of people in this church that have never been invited to the pastor's house for dinner. But does that mean that he doesn't care or they don't care? Of course it doesn't. It just means that they're being faithful to impart just as Paul was faithful Paul loved the church. He loved the congregations. But when he saw specific giftings, he knew how to pull them and draw them in. In in Acts chapter 18, let's look at Acts chapter 18. We find some others that Paul begins to pull in. And it says in chapter 18, verse 1, After these things, he left Athens, and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he came to them. Here's this couple. It says they're Aquila and Priscilla. Very interesting. If you study the lives of Aquila and Priscilla, you know it's a married couple. They were Jewish, but this Jewish couple somehow in Rome came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And when there was the persecution of the Jews, and at that time with, with Claudius, it was not just the persecution of Christians. During Claudius's reign, it was the persecution of the Jews. And at that time, Christianity was consider, considered a sect of Judaism. And so when Claudius said all Jews are to leave Rome, then Aquila and Priscilla left. But when you read about their lives, and you can study it in the book of Acts, and what you'll find is that whenever Paul refers to them as a couple, it's always Aquila, because he's the husband, and Priscilla. But when he refers to them in ministry, he always refers to them as Priscilla and Aquila. Why would he do that? Because Priscilla had the stronger ministry gift when he recognized their 
home, it was Aquila and Priscilla. When he recognized them in ministry, it was Priscilla and Aquila. Paul recognized this couple. He recognized this woman. People who think that Paul didn't didn't, uh, embrace women in ministry, uh, we could take some of his letters and I could show you that he embraced a woman who he called an apostle. He embraced women that he called pastors of the churches. He embraced this woman as a teacher of God. In Chapter 18, verse 18, we read more about this couple that says, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centura he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now, it's real important. He left them in Ephesus. Why? Because he knew they were strong Christians. He knew that, that they would continue the work even when he was gone. It's very fascinating to watch Paul come back to Ephesus. Go with me to chapter 19, verse 1. It says, and it happened that, well, let me back up. Oh, no, keep, go to verse 24 in chapter 18. Because I want you to meet this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Great couple. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. Now remember, Paul, is he went on. He left Aquila and Priscilla. Watch their ministry. And it says, This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Acacia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. You see, when Aquila and Priscilla met him, it wasn't that that he was totally unfamiliar with Messiah coming. He knew John's baptism. He knew John's message. What was John's message? John's message was that that they needed to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins because Messiah was coming. And so John pointed the way to Jesus Christ. Now, Apollos had heard that message and he believed it, but he had yet to hear that Jesus had died on the cross and rose again. And so when Aquila and Priscilla said, hey, wait a minute, you got part of the message, let's give you the rest of it, and they gave him the rest of the message, this man, Apollos, was so sharp in the understanding of Judaism and the the Torah, which is the Old Testament, that what, what Paul became to the Gentiles, Apollos at that time was to the Jews. Paul could come in and say, wait a minute, let's look, at the, let's look at the books of Moses. Let me show you Messiah. Let's look at Isaiah. Let me show you Messiah. Let me show you who Jesus is. And he was able to refute them. Paul said, I was given to the Gentiles. And so 
we find that this couple that Paul had seen a ministry in, and he, he embraced that ministry, and, and he said, here, you stay in Ephesus. There's work for you to do. And they were doing the work. And when Paul came back, because they had been faithful to do the work, watch what happens. In chapter 19, verse 1, it says that it happened that Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hand upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with tongues and prophesy. Now, who gathered these 12 together? It says when Paul got there, they were gathered together. You can be sure Aquila and Priscilla were doing their work. And and here it sounds like a great revival, doesn't it? Did you hear that? And Paul says, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? Well, no, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul gives the message, and he tells them about the Holy Spirit. And it says, and, and the Spirit fell, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. What a great revival. But look at the next few words. There were about 12. Great revival, right? Oh, we had a great revival in, in Harvey Bay. There was a great re- Ephesus was a big city. Oh, we had a great revival in Harvey Bay. Bay. Oh, really? What happened? Well, there was 12 of them. You know, we look and say, we, we, we want to see the big numbers. Jesus wasn't worried about big numbers. He knew what it was to come to congregations where there were 5,000, and he preached to 5,000. That was just the men. Who knows how many were there with the women and the children. Another time it says there were 3,000 men. Jesus preached to thousands. But when it came time for them to tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit, how many were in that upper room? 120. And not a very successful ministry. Preached to thousands and ended up with 120. Jesus said, I don't need 120. He said, you give me 12 good men, I'll turn a world upside down. Paul said, you give me 12 good men, I'll turn a city around. If this church, if we can find 12 consecrated good men who will give themselves, and women, mankind. (laughs) But if we can find 12 as dedicated as the disciples, if we can find 12 as dedicated as these ones that were in, in the city of Ephesus, you can turn Harvey Bay around. It can happen. It's happened, and it's happened, and it's happened again. But Paul knew how to deal with the church. He knew to bring 
Timothy with him. He brought him to Ephesus, and he left Timothy in Ephesus. He, why did he leave this young man? As a matter of fact, not only did Paul leave Timothy in Ephesus, he left this young man as pastor of the church. I mean, he's young. Why didn't he leave Aquila and Priscilla as pastor of the church? I'll tell you why. Because Paul knew how to use giftings. And the beautiful part was he knew that Aquila and Priscilla were mature enough not to try to usurp young Timothy's authority that Paul had given him. One time he writes to Timothy and he says, Stir up the gift that was in you that was given to you by the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Who do you think the presbytery was? Can you imagine? Here's, little, here's young Paul. I don't know how big he was. If he was Jewish, he was short. Here's young Timothy in, in Ephesus and Paul comes and he lays his hand on him as, as he puts him as pastor of the church and there standing right with him is Aquila and Priscilla. Paul knew it was a safe place for Timothy because Timothy, certainly he was a man of the word and he was well spoken of, but he also knew that there were those that would stand along with him, mature believers who would speak into his life. God teach us how that works. Teach us in a church how we truly support one another. As a matter of fact, later on, it's, the church is about eight years old. And this is what I didn't, I got wrong. I had, you'll understand in a minute, those who were here. Church was about eight years old, and Paul is off doing his missions thing, but he, he's, actually, I think he's in prison. And he has a heart for Ephesus. He's concerned about his young one, Timothy, and he's concerned about the church there. And so Paul writes a letter. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul begins to write in Ephesians 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Here is this faithful, faithful church, and Paul is so pleased. In verse 15, he says, For this reason I, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. This is a church that is, Paul is watching it grow. He's so thrilled. It's a church that he's planted and he's watered and he's nurtured and he's seeing that it's beginning to bear fruit. Eight years later, it's becoming fruitful. And not just, not just numerically, this church is becoming known for a church that knows how to love each other. If you read through the letter that Paul writes to them in Ephesus, numbers of times. It's amazing how many times Paul talks to them about their love. And, and the letter that Paul writes, six times in this letter in Ephesus, Paul writes to them about the mysteries of God. Try to find another church that he writes as, as fervently and as deeply as he writes about the things as he did to the church of Ephesus. This was a mature, solid church. How encouraging it must have been. And 
Then Paul writes this part of the letter. I, I, it's exciting. He writes to them in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And he says, in, I'm going to begin in verse 9. Eh, begin in verse 7. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and some as teachers. Do you see that Paul is talking about the giftings? And he's knowing, he's saying, not everybody has the same gift. We need to learn how to operate in everything that God has given. And he says all these things, what are they for? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, because we have these diverse giftings, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. There it comes again, that love potion. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. Did you hear that? by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. How is a church going to build itself up in love? Paul says, keep doing what you're doing. What are you doing? You are recognizing that everybody has a part and and a, a place. You see... Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. And every part of my body, I don't care how small the joint is or the limb is, it's important. A few months ago, I had a flare-up in my thumb. I'm getting a little bit of arthritis. Those things happen. (laughs) They don't call me Grandma the Great for nothing. (laughs) That's because I'm a great-grandmother. And and so this thumb had flared up because just of a little a tinge of arthritis and and when that happened this thumb became very difficult to move. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that when this when my body is doing well this thumb feels fine and and I don't give it much thought. But when it was painful I realized I desperately need that thumb. You know We, as a body of Christ, I don't care if it's the little finger and the little joint at the very end or even the fingernail. Have you ever had your fingernail pulled off? That is very tender. Those fingernails are on there for a reason. I don't care how small or insignificant you think 
your, your part of the body is. One time I was prophesying over a gal, and, and the Spirit of God kept saying, she thinks she's as insignificant as a fingernail. You know, we need to learn that there is no such thing as an insignificant part of the body. And that we need to build one another up in love. But you know, the sad part is, it was about 30 years later, Ephesus got another letter. Oh, it sounded good. Listen to this. It starts off so good. He says, And to the church of Ephesus write, The one who is holy, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. You cannot endure or tolerate evil men. And you put it to the, the test to those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Doesn't that sound good? But then there's a big but. He said, but I have this against you. You've left, left your first love. Oh, you're still doing all the right things, but no longer motivated by what was the most important. Love for God, love for each other. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in doing things and projects and, and busyness and then lose sight of why we do what we do. God said, if it's not out of love for me, it's wood, hay, stubble. How sad. I believe, I, I want to believe that the saints at Ephesus said, let's get back to where we belong. Let's get back to what pleases God's heart the most. Jesus said, I want you to bring forth fruit and fruit that remains, love one another. But you know, it's real easy to, to admit that sometimes loving each other only comes when I can love him and he can show me why should I love that person. <laughs> and then I can fulfill his heart. Oh God, 30 years from now, what would your letter Jesus, what would your letter be to this church? I pray that they're found faithful and that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Love God, love each other. Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement we get from it. Father, I want to say thank you for what you did in Paul's life. Turning that man around knowing that he would write letters that would come to the church today, that would teach us, that would encourage us, that would cause us to be a church that's pleasing in your sight. Father, thank you for the ones that you've called in this church. 
Thank you for Ross and Mary Lynn and their faithfulness to continue to impart your word into young leadership and into believers' lives. May this church know what it is to continue to build itself up in love by that which every joint supplies, that we might be presented to you, the church, without spot or wrinkle, that we might give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.